Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to Prime Sport, Triumph of the Athlete Mind. When you compete in your sport, you will in fact be competing in two competitions. The obvious competition is the one that occurs against your opponent. The more important competition, though, is the mental game you play inside your head against yourself. Here's a simple reality. If you don't win the mental game, you won't win the competitive game. Contrary to what you may think, at whatever level in which you're competing, the physical and technical aspects of your sport don't usually determine the winner. Athletes who compete at the same level are very similar technically and physically. For example, is LeBron James better technically than Kobe Bryant? Is Rafi Nadal in better physical condition than Roger Federer? In both cases, the answer is probably no. So, on any given day, what separates Venus Williams from Kim Kleisters and Tom Brady from Peyton Manning? The answer lies in who wins the mental game. Whenever I talk to athletes, I ask them what aspect of their sport seems to have the greatest impact on how they perform. Almost unanimously, they say the mental part. I then ask how much time they devote to their mental preparation, and their answer is almost always little or no time. Despite the obvious importance, the mental side of sport is most often neglected, at least until a problem arises. The mistake athletes make is that they don't treat their mental game the way they treat the physical and technical aspects of their sport. You don't wait to get injured before you do physical training, do you? You don't develop a technical flaw before you work on your technique, do you? Of course not. You do physical and technical training to prevent problems from arising. You should approach the mental game the same way. Prime Sport was created to assist you in just this process, ensuring that mentally you're your best ally rather than your worst enemy. Prime Sport will focus on the essentials of the mental game and give you the mental skills you need to achieve your goals. The information and tools I will share with you in Prime Sport are not magic dust and will not produce miracles. You would not expect increases in strength by lifting weights a few times or an improvement in technique by working on it every once in a while. The only way to improve any area, whether physical, technical, or mental, is through commitment, hard work, and patience. The information, techniques, and exercises in Prime Sport are designed to be user-friendly, easy to understand, and apply directly to your sport. My goal is for you to listen to Prime Sport and go out tomorrow and use it immediately to improve your sports performance. Prime Sport has several other goals. First, to provide clear and understandable information about winning the mental game of sport. To offer simple and practical techniques that you can use to raise your performances to a new level. And finally, to enable you to perform your best in your sport consistently when it really counts. One of the most popular phrases in sports psychology is peak performance. Athletes typically think of peak performance as performing their best, as being at the top of their game. That sounds good, doesn't it? Who wouldn't want to achieve peak performance? And when I came out of graduate school, peak performance was what I wanted athletes to achieve. But as I became more experienced as a consultant and a writer, I began to appreciate the power of words and how important it is that the words I use are highly descriptive of what I want to communicate. I decided that peak performance was not descriptive. I saw several problems with peak performance. First, a peak is very small, so you can't stay there long. Would you be satisfied if you had one good competition and several poor ones? Once the peak is reached, there's only one way to go, down, and as with most peaks, the drop is usually precipitous. Have you experienced those big swings in performance where one week you're totally on your game and the next you're completely off it? Third, you may arrive at the peak too early or too late, missing an opportunity for success. Have you felt the frustration of lost opportunity because you weren't on your game when you needed to be? 
so I needed a phrase that accurately described what I wanted athletes to achieve. I struggled for several years, unable to find such a phrase, until one day I had one of those rare meetings of readiness and luck. Walking through the meat section of a supermarket, I saw a piece of beef with a sticker that read, Prime Cut. I had an aha experience. I knew I was onto something. I returned to my office and looked up Prime in the dictionary. It was defined as, of the highest quality or value. I had finally found the phrase, Prime Performance, which I believed was highly descriptive of what I wanted athletes to achieve. I defined Prime Performance, or in this case, Prime Sport, as performing at a consistently high level under the most challenging conditions. Performing at a consistently high level under the most challenging conditions. There are two essential words in this definition. First, consistently. I'm not interested if you can, if you can have one or, or two great performances and then some poor ones. That's not enough to be truly successful. I want you to be able to train and compete at a high level, day in and day out, week in and one week out, month in and month out, all season long. This means performing with minimal ups and downs instead of the large swings in performance that are so common among athletes. The second key word is challenging. I'm not impressed if you can perform well under ideal conditions against an easy opponent when you're on top of your game. Anyone can do that. What makes the great athletes great is their ability to perform their best under the worst possible conditions against a tough opponent when they're not on their game. Prime sport is a goal toward which everyone in the sports world strives result of which is to maximize your athletic efforts and enable you to achieve your athletic goals. But few athletes, coaches, or teams understand fully the information and strategies they must use to achieve their goals. Nor do many have a framework or a process for working toward prime sport. And even fewer have implemented such important changes. The prime sport pyramid provides both a framework and a process for identifying and developing the key contributors to individual and team sports performance. The prime sport pyramid is comprised of five, five psychological factors that most directly impact athletic performance. Motivation, confidence, intensity, focus, and emotions. These factors can either facilitate or interfere with performance. Your goal is to understand your relationship with each of these factors and develop strategies and a plan of action for alleviating your psychological weaknesses and building your psychological strengths. The prime sport pyramid is ordered in a purposeful and logical manner. Its order is based on the sequence in which the factors impact sports performance. The first two factors, motivation and confidence, prepare you for competition, while the next three, intensity, focus, and emotions, directly impact training and competitive performance. The prime sport pyramid gives you the framework from which to explore the psychological factors that most impact your athletic life. It should now act as the foundation for the process of improvement that will allow you to maximize your training and competitive performances and achieve your goals. Motivation lies at the base of the prime sport pyramid. Without your desire and determination to improve your sports performance, all of the other mental factors, confidence, intensity, focus, and emotions are meaningless. To become the best athlete you can be, you must be motivated to do what it takes to maximize your ability. Motivation, simply defined, is the ability to initiate and persist at a task. To perform your best, you must want to begin the process of developing as an athlete, and you must be willing to maintain your effort until you've achieved your goals. Motivation in sports is so important because you must be willing to work hard in the face of fatigue, boredom, pain, and the desire to do other things. 
Motivation will impact everything that influences your sports performance. Physical conditioning, technical and tactical training, mental preparation, and general lifestyle, including sleep, diet, school or work, and relationships. The reason motivation is so important is that it's the only contributor to sports performance over which you have total control. There are three things that affect how well you perform. First, your ability, which includes your physical, technical, tactical, and mental capabilities. Because ability is something you're born with, you can't change your ability, so it's outside of your control. Second, the difficulty of the competition influences performance. Contributors to difficulty include the ability of the opponent and external factors, such as an away game crowd, and weather, such as temperature, wind, and sun. You also have no control over these factors. Finally, motivation will impact performance. It is also the only factor over which you have control. Motivation will directly impact the level of success that you ultimately achieve. If you're highly motivated to improve your performances, then you'll put in the time and effort necessary to raise your game. Motivation will also influence the level of performance when you begin a competition. If you're competing against someone of nearly equal skill, it will not be ability that will determine the outcome. Rather, it will be the athlete who works the hardest, who doesn't give up, and who performs their best when it counts. In other words, the athlete who is most motivated to succeed. In training and competitions, you arrive at a point at which, is, at which it is no longer fun. I call this the grind, which starts when it's getting tiring, painful, and tedious. The grind is also the point at which it really counts. The grind is what separates successful athletes from those who don't achieve their goals. Many athletes, when they reach this point, either ease up or give up because it's just too darn hard. But truly motivated athletes reach the grind and keep on going. Many sports psychologists will say that you have to love the grind. I say that, except for a very few hyper-motivated athletes, love isn't in the cards because there's not much to love. There's pain, there's boredom, there's fatigue. But how you, respo- how you respond to the grind lies along a continuum. As I just mentioned, loving the grind is rare. At the other end of the continuum is, I hate the grind. If you feel this way, you're not likely to stay motivated. I suggest that you neither love nor hate the grind. You just accept it as a part of the deal in striving toward your goals. The grind may not be very enjoyable, but what does feel good is seeing your hard work pay off with success. When I speak to groups of young athletes, I always ask how many have big goals, like going to the Olympics or playing pro ball. About 90% raise their hands. I then ask how many are doing everything they can to achieve their goals. Only one or two tentative hands typically go up. What this tells me is that there is often a big gap between the goals athletes have and the effort they're putting into those goals. It's easy to say that you want to be a successful athlete. It's a much more difficult task to actually make it happen. If you have this kind of disconnect, you have two choices. You can either lower goals to match your effort, or you can raise your effort to match your goals. There is no right answer. But if you're truly motivated to be successful, you better make sure you're doing the work necessary to achieve your goals. There are several signs of low motivation. A lack of desire to practice as much as you should, less than 100% effort in training, skipping or shortening training, and when the effort is inconsistent with your goals. Here are several techniques you can use to develop prime motivation. First, set goals. There are few things more rewarding and motivating than setting a goal, putting effort toward the goal, and achieving the goal. The sense of accomplishment and validation of the effort makes you feel good 
and motivates you to strive higher. It's valuable to establish clear goals of what you want to accomplish in your sport and how you will achieve these goals. Seeing that your hard work leads to progress and results should motivate you further to realize your goals. Focus on your long-term goals is also important. To be your best, you have to put a lot of time and effort into your sport. But, as I noted above, there are going to be times, the grind, when you don't feel that motivated. When you feel this way, focus on your long-term goals. Remind yourself why you're working so hard. Imagine exactly what you want to accomplish and tell yourself that the only way you'll be able to reach your goals is to continue to work hard. Try to generate the feelings of inspiration and pride that you'll experience when you reach your goals. This technique will distract you from the discomfort of the grind, focus you on what you want to achieve, and generate positive thoughts and emotions that will get you through the grind. Another useful technique is to have a training partner. The fact is it's difficult to stay highly motivated all the time on your own. There are going to be days when you just don't feel like getting out there. Also, no matter how hard you push yourself, you will work that much harder if you have someone pushing you. That someone can be a coach, personal trainer, or parent. But the best person to have is a regular training partner, someone at about your level of ability and with similar goals. You can work together to accomplish your goals. The chances are, on any given day, that one of you will be motivated. Even if you're not very psyched to practice on a particular day, you'll still put in the time and effort because your partner is counting on you. Another valuable strategy for motivation is to focus on your greatest competitor. Another way to keep yourself motivated is to focus on your greatest competitor. Identify who your biggest competition is and put his or her name or a photo where you can see it every day. Ask yourself, am I working as hard as him or her? Remember that only by working your hardest will you have a chance to overcome your greatest competitor. Another really useful tool for motivation are motivational cues. A big part of staying motivated involves generating positive emotions associated with your efforts and achieving your goals. A way to keep these feelings is with motivational cues, such as inf inspirational phrases and photographs. If you come across a quote or a picture that moves you, place it where you can see it regularly, such as in your bedroom, on your refrigerator, or in your locker. Look at it periodically and allow yourself to experience the emotions it creates in you. These reminders and the emotions associated with them will inspire and motivate you to continue to work hard toward your goals. Another useful tool for motivation is to ask yourself two daily questions. You should ask yourself, when you get up in the morning, what can I do to become the best athlete I can be? And before you go to sleep, ask, did I do everything possible today to become the best athlete I can be? These two questions will remind you daily of what your goals are and will challenge you to be motivated to become your best. Finally though, the heart of motivation is about what's inside. The techniques I've just described are effective in increasing your short-term motivation. Motivation though is not something you can be given. Rather, motivation must ultimately come from within. You must simply want to participate in your sport. You just have to want it really bad. Confidence is the most important mental factor in sports. Confidence is also the mental area that is ripe for change. And I'll not only be offering you insights into how confidence impacts your sports performance, but also offer you many practical tools for developing confidence. I define confidence as how strongly you believe in your ability to achieve your goals. Confidence is so important because you may have all the ability in the world to perform well, but if you don't believe in that ability, then you won't perform up to that ability. 
For example, a gymnast may be physically and technically capable of executing a back somersault with a full twist on the floor exercise, but he won't attempt the skill in a meet if he doesn't have the confidence that he can successfully execute the skill. Too often, athletes are their own worst enemy rather than their best ally. When you compete, whose side are you on? Remember that opponents are against you and want to beat you badly. If you're also against you, you don't have a chance of performing your best and finding success. To illustrate another influence of confidence, think back to a time when you didn't have confidence in yourself. You probably got caught in a vicious cycle of low confidence and performance, in which negative thinking led to poor performance, which led to more negative thinking and even more poor performance until your confidence was so low that you didn't even want to compete. This vicious cycle usually starts with a period of poor performance. This poor performance leads to negative self-talk. I'm terrible. I can't do this. I don't have a chance. You're becoming your own worst enemy. You start to get nervous before a competition because you believe you will perform poorly. All that anxiety hurts your confidence even more because you feel physically uncomfortable, and there's no way you can perform well when you're so tense. The negative self-talk and anxiety causes negative emotions. You feel depressed, frustrated, angry, and helpless, all of which hurts your confidence even more and cause you to perform even worse. The negative self-talk, anxiety, and emotions then hurt your focus. If you have low confidence, you can't help but focus on all the negative things rather than on things that will help you to perform your best. All this accumulated negativity hurts your motivation. As bad as you feel, you just want to get out of there. If you're thinking negatively, caught in a vicious cycle, feeling nervous, depressed, and frustrated, and can't focus, you're not going to be having much fun out there, and you're not going to perform well. Now, recall when you have been really confident in your sport. Your self-talk is positive. I'm a great athlete. I can be successful today. You're your best ally. With the positive self-talk, you begin an upward spiral of high confidence and performance in which positive thinking leads to better performance, which leads to more positive thinking and even better performance. All the positive talk gets you feeling relaxed and energized as you begin the competition. You have a lot of positive emotions, such as inspiration and excitement. You focus on things you need to perform your best. Competing is actually enjoyable for you. All the positive thoughts and feelings motivate you to perform. If you're thinking positively, ride in an upward spiral, feeling relaxed and energized, experiencing positive emotions, and are focused on performing your best, you're going to have a lot of fun and you're likely going to perform well. Anything that counters your belief in your ability to achieve your goals will hurt your confidence. The greatest disruption to confidence is failure. Failure can mean making mistakes in a competition, for example, missing an easy header in soccer or falling on a double axle in figure skating. Failure will cause you to lose faith in your ability and cause you to become tentative or cautious. Failure can also mean having poor results in recent competitions. There's nothing more harmful to confidence than failure because it provides evidence that any confidence you may have is just unjustified. A misconception that many athletes have is that confidence is something that is inborn or that if you don't have it at an early age, you will never have confidence. In reality, confidence is a skill, much like technical skills that can be learned. Just like with any type of skill, confidence is developed through focus, effort, and repetition. The problem is that you have the option to practice good or bad confidence skills. If you're very negative all the time, you're practicing and ingraining those negative confidence skills. So when you compete, just like a bad technical habit, that negativity is what will come out and it will hurt your performance. In other words, you become highly skilled at something that actually hurts your sports performance. If you have a bad technical habit, 
For example, a softball player opens her shoulders too early when swinging. She probably has swung that, the bat that way for a long time. She has become skilled at swinging the bat the wrong way. The same holds true for confidence. You can become skilled at being negative. To change bad confidence skills, you must retrain the way you think. You have to practice good confidence skills regularly until the old negative habits have been broken and you've learned and ingrained the new positive skills of confidence. It's easy to stay confident when you're performing well, when the conditions are ideal, and when you're competing against someone whom you're better than. The real test of confidence, however, is how you respond when things aren't going your way. I call this the confidence challenge. What separates the best from the rest is that the best athletes are able to maintain their confidence when they're not at the top of their games. By staying confident, they continue to work hard rather than give up because they know that, in time, their performances will come around. Most athletes who perform poorly get caught in a vicious cycle of low confidence and performance. Once you slip into that downward spiral, you rarely can get out of it in the short term. In contrast, athletes with prime confidence maintain their confidence and seek out ways to return to their previous level. All athletes will go through periods where they don't perform well. The skill is not getting caught in the vicious cycle and being able to get out of the down period quickly. There are several keys to mastering the confidence challenge. First, develop the attitude that demanding situations are challenges to be sought out. Second, believe that experiencing challenges is a necessary part of becoming the best athlete you can be. Third, be prepared, well prepared, to meet the challenges. Fourth, stay positive and motivated in the face of the difficulties. Fifth, focus on what you need to do to overcome the challenges. Sixth, accept that you may experience failure when faced with new challenges. Lastly, and most importantly, never, ever give up. Prime confidence is a deep and lasting resilient belief in one's ability. With prime confidence, you're able to stay confident even when you're not performing well. Prime confidence keeps you positive, motivated, intense, focused, and emotionally in control when you need to be. You aren't negative and uncertain in difficult competitions, and you're not overconfident in easy competitions. Prime confidence also encourages you to seek out pressure situations and to view difficult conditions and tough opponents as challenges to pursue. Prime confidence enables you to perform at your highest level consistently. Prime confidence is the belief that if you do the right things, you will be successful. Prime confidence demonstrates faith in your ability and in your preparation. It should not, however, cause you to expect success. This belief can lead to arrogance and overconfidence. It can also cause you to become too focused on winning rather than just on performing your best. This perception can lead to self-imposed pressure and a fear of failure. I've identified five keys to building prime confidence that will create an upward spiral of confidence. Each key alone can enhance your confidence, but if you use all of them together, you'll find your confidence growing stronger and more quickly. The ultimate goal of prime confidence is to develop a strong and resilient belief in your athletic ability so that you have the confidence to give your best effort, perform at your highest level, and believe you can achieve your goals in the most important competitions of your life. The first key to building confidence is preparation. Preparation is the foundation of confidence. This preparation includes physical, technical, tactical, equipment, and mental parts of your sport, and means putting in the necessary time and effort into every aspect of your training. If you've developed these areas as fully as you can, you will have faith that you will be able to use those capabilities 
gain from preparation to perform as well as you can in competition. The more of these areas you fully address in your preparation, the more confidence you, you will breed in yourself. My goal with athletes that I work with is when they arrive at every competition that they can say, I'm as prepared as I can be to achieve my goals. The second mental area is mental skills. When I work with athletes, I encourage them to create a mental toolbox inside of which they put essential mental skills that they will need in training and competition. Fortunately, your mental toolbox doesn't weigh anything, even when it's filled with mental tools. Just like having a spare tire, tire iron, and jack if you get a flat tire while driving, the tools in your mental toolbox are available when you have breakdowns in your sport. For example, you get tired at the end of a competition, you have a period of poor play, or you have a close call called against you. Tools that you can place in your mental toolbox can include inspirational thoughts and images to bolster your motivation, positive self-talk and body language to fortify your confidence, intensity control to combat confidence-depleting anxiety, keywords to maintain focus and avoid distractions, and emotional control techniques to calm yourself under pressure. Another powerful tool for developing prime confidence is adversity. Like most athletes, you probably love to train in ideal conditions when you're healthy, rested, and on your game. But how often do you compete under ideal conditions? Probably rarely. More often than not, the, most, the worst con conditions come out when you want them least. But it isn't the conditions that, determine, that determines who succeeds and who fails. Because, for example, two athletes can face the same conditions, but view and respond to them entirely differently. Athlete A may see them as a threat that causes negativity and anxiety. Athlete B sees the same conditions as a challenge and becomes motivated and excited. So who do you think is going to succeed? The challenge is to maintain your confidence when you're faced with the worst possible conditions. To more deeply ingrain confidence, you should expose yourself as much as possible to adversity in training. Adversity can be environmental obstacles such as bad weather during a soccer practice or strong headwind during a running workout. Adversity can also involve your opponent, for example, who is, a little, who is a little better than you or who has a style of play that frustrates you. Training for adversity has several essential benefits. Adversity increases your belief that you can respond positively to the difficult conditions because you've shown yourself that you can overcome them in training. It shows you ways to adapt to the adversity so you can make those adjustments in competitions. Training for adversity also familiarizes you with, with difficult conditions so when you get to a competition with such demands, you'll be confident enough to say, no big deal, I've trained in these difficult conditions before. Plus, training for adversity just makes you feel tough. Support is another tool for building confidence. It's difficult to achieve success on your own. The very best athletes in every sport have many people supporting them, teammates, coaches, and parents. There will be times when things are just not going well, and it helps to have people, for example, family, friends, coaches, and teammates, to whom you can turn for support and encouragement. Though your confidence may wax and wane depending upon how you're feeling, the quality of your training, and your recent competitive results, you want people in your life who can count on you, who you can count on to give you a booster shot of confidence. For example, have a coach say, I know you can do it, or a friend tell you, hang in there, things will turn around. Finally, success validates confidence. All of the previous steps in building confidence will go for naught if you don't then perform well and achieve your goals. Success validates the confidence you've developed in your ability. It demonstrates that your belief in your ability is well-founded. 
Success further strengthens your confidence, making it more resilient in the face of adversity and poor performance. Success also rewards your efforts to build confidence, encouraging you to continue to work hard and develop your capabilities. But when I talk about success, I don't mean just competitive success, at least not right away. You can't just go out and have a big success to give you confidence. Your initial goal is to create little victories every day in training. When you walk away from practice, you should be able to say that you just won that day by doing what you needed to do. For example, hard work, listen to your coach, focus on key areas of improvement, keep at it even when it really hurts, overcome adversity to achieve your long-term goals. With each small victory in training that you accumulate, you move one step closer to that big victory, namely achieving your competitive goals. Now on to intensity. Intensity may be the most important contributor to athletic performance once the competition begins. It's so important because all of the motivation, confidence, focus, and emotions in the world won't help you if your body is not physiologically capable of doing what it needs to do for you to perform your best. Simply put, intensity is the amount of physiological activity you experience in your body, including heart rate, respiration, and adrenaline. Intensity is a continuum that ranges from sleep, that is to say very relaxed, to sheer terror, that is to say very anxious. Somewhere in between those two extremes is the level of intensity at which you perform your best. The challenge with intensity is that there is not one ideal intensity for all athletes. Depending on your physical and psychological makeup, you may perform best very relaxed, moderately intense, or bouncing off the wall with intensity. The sport you compete in also imp impacts your intensity. Sports that have different physiological demands will have different intensity demands. For example, sports that involve quick and powerful bursts of energy, such as powerlifting or sprinting, need higher intensity. In contrast, sports that involve fine motor skills or endurance, for example golf or marathon running, respectively, require much lower intensity. Intensity is made up of two components. First, there's the physical experience of intensity. That is, what you actually feel in your body when you're competing. Are you calm or filled with, filled with energy? Are you relaxed or tense? Second, there's your perception of the intensity. In other words, do you perceive the intensity positively or negatively? Two athletes can feel the exact same thing physiologically, but interpret those physical feelings in very different ways. One may view intensity as excitement, and it will help his performance. Another may see the intensity as anxiety, and it will hurt his performance. The physical experience and the perception of intensity are affected by several mental factors. If you're not confident, feeling angry fr and frustrated, or, and focusing on winning rather than performing your best, you'll likely see the intensity as negative. In contrast, if you're confident and positive, happy and excited, and focused on performing well, the intensity will probably be perceived as positive. Intensity produces a wide variety of physical and mental symptoms that, you can, that can help you recognize when your intensity is too high or too low. By being aware of these signs, you'll be able to know when you're not performing at prime intensity and, ca and can take steps to reach that ideal level. Muscle tension and breathing difficulties are the most common signs of overintensity. Most athletes indicate when they're too tense, they feel tension in their shoulders and their legs which happen to be the two most important physical areas for most sports. If a swimmer's shoulders are tense, the motion of her strokes will shorten and she won't be able to swim with ease or power. When a high jumper's legs are tense, he loses the ability to, to run and jump with smoothness and explosiveness. Many athletes also report that their breathing becomes short and choppy when they get nervous. 
This restriction in breathing means that they're not getting enough oxygen into their system, so they will tire quickly. I've also found that the smoothness of athletes' movements tends to mirror their breathing. If their breathing is long and smooth, so is their movement. If their breathing is abrupt and uneven, their movements are probably jerky and uncomfortable. Athletes who are overly intense often also exhibit poor posture and a stiff gait. Muscle tension causes their shoulders to rise and their bodies to seem to close up. Athletes make more mistakes when they're overly intense because their anxiety disrupts coordination. Overintensity also interferes with motor control that affects technical skills and movement. Athletes who are anxious also increase the pace of competition. For example, an overly intense cyclist may go out too fast early in a road race. Athletes often look rushed and frantic. If opponents are taking their time, overly intense athletes become impatient at the slow pace. Overintensity negatively uh, influences athletes mentally as well. Anxiety lo lowers confidence and causes doubts and ability. The physical and mental discomfort produces negative emotions such as frustration, anger, and depression. The anxiety, doubts, and negative emotions hurt focus by drawing athletes' attention away from performing their best onto how badly they feel. Though not as common, athletes can also experience under-intensity during competition. The most common symptoms of under-intensity are low energy and lethargy. Athletes lack the adrenaline they need to give their best effort. Though not as discomforting as over-intensity, under-intensity hurts performance equally because athletes lack the physical requisites such as strength, stamina, and agility to meet the demands of their sport. Mentally, under-intensity undermines motivation. Athletes just don't feel like being out there. The lack of interest caused by too low intensity also impairs their focus because they're too easily distracted and have difficulty staying focused on their performances. There are common situ competitive situations in which you can expect that your intensity will shift away from prime intensity. If you can identify these situations when they occur, you can more quickly take steps to prevent a change in intensity that may hurt your performance. These competitive situations usually, usually relate to when you're either ahead or behind in a competition, or the competition is on the line. Overintensity is most common in pressure situations, such as in the finals of competitions or an overtime period. Anytime you believe you must win a point or a game, your intensity will probably rise because beyond your prime intensity. Underintensity is most often seen in competitive situations where you believe that you have the competition won. For example, you have a big lead or time is running out. There is not, however, a consistent pattern in how intensity will change for all athletes. Athletes in the same competitive situation can experience different changes in intensity. For example, one athlete may have an increase in intensity and feel very nervous because she's never defeated her opponent before and doesn't totally believe that she can. While another athlete in the same situation might have a decrease in intensity and feel a letdown because she's already mentally in the locker room thinking about her next competition. Your intensity is much like the thermostat maintaining the most, temp most comfortable temperature in your house. You always notice when your house is too warm or too cold because you're sensitive to changes in temperature. When the temperature becomes uncomfortable, you adjust the thermostat to a more comfortable level. You can think of your intensity as your internal temperature that needs to be adjusted periodically. You need to be sensitive to when your intensity is no longer comfortable. In other words, it's not allowing you, allowing you to perform your best. You can then use the intensity control techniques. You have several goals in developing prime intensity. First, to learn what is your prime intensity. 
Then, to recognize the signs of overintensity and underintensity in practice and competitions. Next, to identify those situations in which your intensity may go up or down. Finally, to take active steps to reach and maintain prime intensity throughout competitions and practices. The first step in taking control of your intensity is to identify what is your prime intensity. First, think back to several competitions in which you performed very well. Recall your level of intensity. Were you relaxed, energized, or really fired up? Then remember the thoughts, emotions, and physical feelings you experienced during these competitions. Were you positive or negative, happy or angry, relaxed or tense? Second, think back to several competitions in which you performed poorly. Recall your level of intensity. Again, remember the thoughts, emotions, and physical feelings you had in those competitions. If you're like most athletes, a distinct pattern will emerge. When you perform well, you have a particular level of intensity. This is your prime intensity. There are also common thoughts, emotions, and physical feelings associated with your prime intensity and performing well. In contrast, when you're performing poorly, there's a very different level of intensity, either higher or lower than your prime intensity. There are also decidedly different thoughts, emotions, and physical feelings. Another useful way to help you understand your prime intensity is to experiment with different levels of intensity in practice and see how the differing intensity impacts your performances. Here's a good exercise you can use to learn more about your prime intensity, and you can adapt it to your particular sport. Let's say you're working on a drill to improve some aspect of your performance. Break up the drill into three segments. The first segment will emphasize low intensity. Before you begin the drill, take several slow, deep breaths, relax your muscles, and focus on calming thoughts. For example, easy does it and cool and calm. As you start the drill, stay focused on keeping your body relaxed and calm. The second segment will focus on moderate intensity. Before the drill, take a few deep but more forced breaths, walk around a bit, and focus on more energetic thoughts. For example, let's go, pick it up. Before the drill, bounce on your feet lightly and feel your intensity picking up. During the drill, pay attention to feeling the intensity and energy in your body and keeping your body moving. The final segment will highlight high intensity. Before the drill, take several short, more intense breaths with special emphasis on a hard and aggressive exhale. Start bouncing up and down immediately and repeat intense thoughts such as fired up, get after it, saying these out loud with energy and force. Feel the high level of intensity and energy as you begin the drill and focus on maintaining the intensity with, with constant movement and high energy self-talk. I encourage you to use this exercise for several days so you can see clearly how your intensity impacts your performance. As with comparing past good and poor performances, you'll likely see a pattern emerge in which you perform best at one of the three levels of intensity. That level of intensity is the one you want to aim for in both practice and competition. With this knowledge, you'll have a good sense of your prime intensity. You can then use that information to recognize when you're not at prime intensity and you need to adjust your intensity to a prime level. It's natural to feel some increase in your intensity in a competition. You're putting yourself to a test and want to do your best. But when that intensity turns to anxiety, that can hurt your performances. That can be a problem. But rather than just resigning yourself to feeling nervous and performing poorly, you can take active steps to reach and maintain your prime intensity so you can perform your best. There are a number of simple psych down techniques you can use to get your intensity back under control. The most basic one is deep breathing. When you experience over intensity, one of the first things that's disrupted is your breathing. 
it becomes short and choppy, and you don't get the oxygen your body needs to perform its best. The most basic way to lower your intensity, then, is to take control of your breathing. Again, by taking long, slow, deep breaths. Deep breathing has several benefits. It ensures that you get enough oxygen into your system so that your body can function well. By getting more oxygen into your body, you will relax, feel better, and it will, it will give you a greater sense of control. This increased comfort will give you more confidence and enable you to, to more easily combat negative thoughts, which are often the causes of the overintensity. It will also help you let go of negative emotions such as fear or frustration, and allow you to regain positive emotions such as excitement. Focusing on your breathing also, also acts to take your mind off of things that may be interfering, causing your overintensity. For athletes who participate in sports that involve a series of short performances, such as baseball, football, tennis, and golf, deep breathing should be a part of your between performance routines. One place in particular where deep breathing can be especially valuable to reduce intensity is before you begin another performance. If you take two deep breaths at this point, you ensure that your body will be more relaxed, comfortable, and prepared for the upcoming performance. Muscle tension is the most common symptom of overintensity. This is the most crippling physical symptom because if your muscles are tight and stiff, you simply won't be able to, to perform at your highest level. There are two muscle relaxation techniques you can use away from your sport and in a shortened form during competitions. I call them passive and active relaxation. Similar to deep breathing, Muscle relaxation is beneficial because it allows you to regain control of your body and to make you feel more comfortable physically. It also offers the same mental and emotional advantages as deep breathing. Passive relaxation involves imagining that tension is a liquid that fills your muscles, creating discomfort that interferes with your body performing its best. To prepare for passive relaxation, lie down in a comfortable position in a quiet place where you won't be disturbed. As you go through the passive relaxation procedure, focus on your breathing, allow the tension to drain out of your muscles, and at the end, focus on your overall state of mental calmness and physical relaxation. Active relaxation is used when your body is very tense and you can't relax your muscles with passive relaxation. When your intensity is too high and your muscles are too tight, it's difficult to just relax them. So instead of trying to relax your muscles, do just the opposite. Tighten them more, then relax them. For example, before a competition, your muscles might be at an, an 8, where 1 is totally relaxed and 10 is very tense, but you perform best at a 4. By further tightening your muscles up from an 8 to a 10, the natural reaction is for your muscles to rebound past 8 toward a more relaxed 4. So making your muscles more tense at first then results in them becoming more relaxed. Active relaxation typically involves tightening and relaxing four major muscle groups face and neck, arms and shoulders, chest and back, and buttocks and legs. It can also be individualized to focus on a particular muscle group that troubles you the most. To prepare for passive relaxation, lie down in a comfortable position in a quiet place where you won't be disturbed. For each muscle group, tighten your muscles for five seconds, release and repeat. As you go through the active relaxation procedure, focus on differences between tension and relaxation. Be aware of how you're able to induce a greater feeling of relaxation, and at the end, focus on your overall state of mental calmness and physical relaxation. These two relaxation procedures can also be used during a competition. For those sports comprised of a series of short performances in, abbre in an abbreviated form, B 
be between performances, you can stop for five seconds and allow the tension to drain out of ten, tense parts of your body. That's passive relaxation. Or tighten and relax the tense muscles. That's active relaxation. Another way to reduce your intensity is to slow the pace of competition. A common side effect of over-intensity is that athletes tend to speed up the tempo of competition. Athletes in sports such as tennis, golf, baseball, and football can rush between performances, almost as if they want to get the competition over with as soon as possible. So to relax your intensity, lower your pace between your performances. Simply slowing your pace and giving yourself time to slow your breathing and relax your muscles will help you lower your intensity to its prime level. One of the primary causes of overintensity is focusing on the outcome of the competition. If you're worried about whether you will win or lose, you're bound to get nervous. The prospect of losing is threatening, so that will make you, make you anxious. The thought of winning, especially if it's against an opponent you've never defeated before, can also be anxiety-provoking, because it may be unfamiliar or unexpected to you. To reduce the anxiety caused by an outcome focus, redirect your focus onto the process. Ask yourself, what do I need to do to perform my best? This process focus can include paying attention to your technique or tactics, or it might involve focusing on mental skills such as positive thinking or the psych down strategies I'm currently describing. You can also shift your focus onto your breathing, which will take your mind off of the outcome and will directly relax your body by providing more oxygen to your body. A process focus takes your mind off things that cause your overintensity and shifts your focus onto things that will reduce your anxiety, build your confidence, and give you a greater sense of control over your sport. Music is one of the most common tools athletes in many sports use to control their intensity. We all know that music has a profound physical and emotional impact on us. Music has the ability to make us happy, sad, inspired, and motivated. Music can also excite or relax us. Many world-class and professional athletes listen to music before they compete to help them reach their prime intensity. Music is beneficial in several ways. It has a direct effect on you physically. Calming music slows your breathing and relaxes your muscles. Simply put, it makes you feel good. Mentally, it makes you feel positive and motivated. It also generates positive emotions, such as joy and contentment. Finally, calming music takes your mind off of aspects of the competition that may cause doubt or anxiety. The overall sensation of listening to relaxing music is a generalized sense of peace and well-being. The last technique for lowering intensity is one of the strangest and most effective I've ever come across. A few years ago, I was working with a young professional athlete who was having a terrible practice session. She was playing poorly, and her coach was getting really frustrated with her. She approached me during a break feeling angry and depressed, and her body was in knots. She asked me what she could do. I didn't have a good answer until an idea just popped into my head. I told her to smile. She said, I don't want to smile. I told her to smile again. She said she was not happy and didn't want to smile. I told her once again to smile. This time, just to get me off her back, she smiled. I told her to hold the smile. During the next two minutes, there was an amazing transformation. As she stood there with the smile on her face, the tension began to drain out of her body. Her breathing became slow and deep. She said that she was feeling better. In a short time, she was looking more relaxed and happier. She returned to practice. Her performance improved and she made some progress during the remainder of the practice session. Her response was so dramatic that I wanted to learn how such a change could occur. When I returned to my office, I looked at the research related to smiling and learned two things. First, as we grow up, we become conditioned to the positive effects of smiling. 
In other words, we learn that when we smile, it means we're happy and life is good. Second, there's been some fascinating research looking at the effects of smiling on our brain chemistry. What this research has found is that when we smile, it releases chemicals called endorphins, which have an actual physiologically relaxing effect. For all these psych down techniques to be effective, you should rehearse them in practice and less important competitions. The goal is to ingrain them so well that when you get to a major competition where you're likely to feel nervous, you will automatically use them. Your intensity will decrease to a more comfortable level and you will be better prepared to perform your best. The less common letdowns in intensity can also cause your level of performance to decline. A decrease in intensity causes all the things that enable you to perform well to disappear. Physically, you're no lo you no longer have the blood flow, oxygen, and adrenaline necessary for the strength, agility, and stamina you need to perform your best. Mentally, you lose the motivation and focus that enables you to perform well. Just like the psych down techniques when your intensity is too high, you can use psych up techniques to raise your intensity when it drops. Perhaps the most basic technique you can use to raise your intensity is intense breathing. Just as deep breathing can reduce intensity, intense breathing can increase it. If you find your intensity dropping, several hard exhales can make your body and your mind to become more intense. It's a useful practice before performance to take two intense deep breaths when you need to increase your intensity. In fact, I encourage you to make intense breathing a part of your training and competitive routines when your intensity goes down. Remember, intensity is most basically physiological activity. So, the most direct way to increase intensity is with physical action. In other words, move. Walk or run around, jump up and down. Anything to get your heart pumping and your body going will raise your intensity. One of the main causes of drops in intensity is letdown thoughts. Thinking to yourself, I've got this one, the game is over, or I can't win this, will all result in your intensity decreasing because your mind is sending messages to your body that it no longer needs to perform. When this happens, you can be sure your performance will decline. When you start to have these thoughts, you need to replace them with high-energy self-talk. Self-talk such as, keep attacking, close it out, and stay pumped will keep you motivated and focused, and your body will respond with more intensity. As I just noted, music has a profound physiological and emotional impact on us. Music can also be used to raise your intensity and to get you psyched up and motivated. The overall sensation of listening to high-energy music, such as rock or hip-hop, is a generalized sense of excitement and energy. Focus is the most misunderstood mental factor among athletes. Most athletes think of focus as concentrating on one thing for a long time. In fact, a number of years ago, uh, a former Australian Open tennis champion said that she improved her tennis by staring at a tennis ball for 10 minutes a day. She may have believed that, but given the complexity of tennis and most other sports, it probably didn't help much. Let me introduce a term, and then I'll define focus for you. Attentional field is everything inside of you, such as thoughts, emotions, and physical responses, and everything outside of you, including sights and sounds on which you could focus. Focus is the ability to tend, attend to internal and external cues in your attentional field. Prime focus involves focusing on only performance-relevant cues in your attentional field. In other words, only focusing on cues that help you perform your best. Depending upon the sport, performance-relevant cues can include technique, tactics, your opponent, the score, time remaining, and many other cues. Prime focus gives you the ability to adjust your focus internally and externally as needed 
during the course of a competition. For example, a football quarterback first focuses internally to select the best play based on the current game situation. As the huddle breaks and he moves over center, he widens his focus externally to survey the defensive alignment. When the ball is hiked and he drops back to pass, the quarterback focuses on the routes of his receivers until he finds one who is open, at which time he narrows his focus onto that receiver and throws him the football. Poor focus, in contrast, involves focusing on performance irrelevant cues in your, in your attentional field. That is, focusing on things that will hurt your performance. That is to say, distractions. There are two types of distractions. Interfering distractions are those that will directly hurt your performance, such as negative thoughts, anxiety, and concern over who, who your next opponent will be if you win. Irrelevant distractions are those that simply distract you from an effective focus, including what you'll have for dinner tonight or the project that you must finish by tomorrow. One of the most important developments I've made in my work in recent years is in understanding the importance of identifying athletes' focus styles. A focus style is a preference for paying attention to certain cues. Athletes tend to be more comfortable focusing on some cues and avoid or don't pay attention to other cues. Every athlete has a dominant style that impacts all aspects of their sports performance. This dominant style will surface most notably when they're under pressure. The two types of focus styles are internal and external. Athletes with an internal focus style perform best when they're totally and consistently focused on their sport during a practice session or a competition. They need to keep their focus narrow, thinking only about their sport. These athletes tend to be easily distracted by activity in their immediate surroundings. If they broaden their focus and take their mind off of their sport, for example, if they talk about non-sport topics with their coach during a practice, they'll become distracted and will have trouble narrowing their focus back onto their sport. Athletes with an external focus style perform best when they only focus on their sport when they're about to begin a drill in practice or begin a competition. At all other times, it's best for them to broaden their focus and take their mind off their sport. These athletes have a tendency to think too much, become negative and critical, and experience competitive anxiety. For these athletes, it's essential that they take their focus away from their sport when they're not actually performing. External focus style runs counter to beliefs held by many coaches. They think that if athletes are not totally focused on their sport, then they're not serious about it and they won't perform their best. Yet, for athletes with an external focus style, they don't want to think too much or be too serious because this causes them to lose confidence and become anxious. They'll perform their best when they're not thinking too much about their sport, and they simply allow their natural abilities to merge on their own. With this understanding of focus styles, you need to identify what your focus style is. Are you an athlete who needs to keep your mind on your sport constantly in order for you to perform well? Or are you someone who thinks too much and needs to keep your mind off your sport until it's time to perform? Recall past competitions and practices when you've performed your best. Were you totally focused on your sport? Or are you generally keeping your mind off your sport? Also, recall past competitions and practices when you've performed poorly. Were you thinking too much or were you distracted by things going on around you? If you're like most athletes, a pattern will emerge in in which you tend to perform best when you focus one way and you perform poorly when you focus another way. Understanding your focus style is essential for you to be able to manage it effectively. This process involves knowing how you focus best and then actively focusing in a way that's consistent with your focus style. This ability to manage your focus style well is most important in pressure competitive situations. 
There is a tendency for athletes under pressure to revert back to a focus style that will interfere rather than help their performance. For example, if you're someone who performs best with an external focus style, you may find yourself tuning your focus inward when the pressure is on. You may start to think too much and become anxious. When you start to lose your prime focus style under pressure, you must become aware that you're moving away from it, and then you need to take steps to redirect your focus back to the style that works best for you. Continuing the previous example, when you realize that you're focusing internally too much, you should actively turn your focus outward by looking around and taking your mind off your sport. I've developed a useful tool to help you understand your focus style and to develop focus control. A mag light is a flashlight whose beam can be adjusted to illuminate a wide area or to brighten a narrow area. Your focus can be thought of as a mag light beam you project that illuminates on what you want to focus. Athletes with an internal focus style want to keep their beam narrow at all times, only illuminating sports-related things during practice and competitions. If you have an internal focus style, your goal is to stay focused on necessary training or competitive cues and to block out unnecessary external distractions. To accomplish this, narrow your mag light beam by keeping your eyes within the confines of the practice or competitive setting and avoid talking to others. Focus on important sport cues, for example, the proper technique for the next drill or your intensity for the next performance. In contrast, athletes with an external focus style want to widen their mag light beam between drills and performances to take their mind off their sport then narrow their beam shortly before they begin the next drill or performance. If you have an external focus style, your goal is to, is to direct your focus off of your sport between drills in practice and between performances and competition. To do this, when you're not actually performing, whether in practice or competition, widen your maglite beam by looking around and talking to your coach or other athletes. This will keep you from thinking too much and becoming anxious. Shortly before you begin the next drill in practice or next performance in a competition, then narrow your mag light beam, focusing specifically on something that will help you perform well. Developing focus control is essential if you're going to ensure that your focus style helps rather than hurts your sports performance. There are several steps in your focus control process. First, you have to identify your focus style and understand how it impacts your sport. Next, you must recognize internal and external cues that help or hurt your training and competitive performances. Finally, you have to adjust your focus internally and externally as needed during competition and practices. We obtain most of our information about the world through our eyes. You can think of your eyes as mag light flashlights that you can adjust to illuminate a wide area or brighten a narrow area. The most direct way to control your mag light beams is to control your eyes. If you want to minimize the external distractions during practice or competitions, narrow your mag light beam by keeping your eyes down and on the sports setting. For example, within the confines of the overall track, ice rink, swimming pool, or basketball court. If you're distracted by something, either look away from it or turn away from it. If you're not looking at something, it's less likely to distract you. Conversely, if you find that you're thinking too much or being negative or critical, widen your mag light beam by raising your eyes and looking around you. For example, see who's performing nearby or who's watching you. By looking around, you'll be distracted from your thoughts, you'll be able to clear your mind, and then you can narrow your mag light beam in preparation for your next performance. A major focusing problem I see with many athletes is that they focus on things over which they have no control. Athletes worry about their opponent, the weather, or the conditions, to name a few things outside of their control. This focus has no value because they can't do anything about those things. 
This kind of focus hurts performance because it lowers confidence and causes doubt and anxiety. It also distracts you from what you need to focus on. The fact is, there's only one thing you can control, and that's yourself. For example, your motivation, confidence, emotions, intensity, technique, and tactics. If you focus on these things, you'll be more confident and relaxed. You'll be, able to, you'll be better able to focus on what you need to do to perform your best. Perhaps the greatest obstacle to prime focus is having an outcome focus during a competition. Outcome focus involves focusing on the possible results of a competition, winning, losing, rankings, or who, or who you might defeat or lose to. An outcome focus is the kiss of death in sports. Here's why. Many people believe that focusing on the outcome will increase the chances that outcome will occur. But the opposite is actually true. Here's why. When does the outcome of a competitive performance occur? Well, at the end, of course. And if you're focusing on the end of a performance, what are you not focusing on? Well, the process, obviously. Here's the irony. By focusing on the process, for example, technique, tactics, or intensity, rather than the outcome, you will more likely perform better because you're paying attention to the things that will help you perform better. Also, if you perform better, you're more likely to achieve the outcome you wanted in the first place. Also, why do you get nervous before a competition? Because you're afraid of the outcome. More specifically, you're afraid of failure. So, by focusing on the outcome, you're less likely to perform well and achieve the outcome you wanted. In contrast, if you focus on the process, you're more likely to perform your best, the result of which is the outcome you wanted in the first place. I have a rule you can follow that will help you identify what kinds of things you should focus on in your sport. I call it the four P's. The first P is positive. You should focus on positive things that will help your performance and avoid negative things that will hurt your performance. The second P is process. As I explained above, you should focus on what you need to do to perform your best, such as technique or tactics, not on that which will distract you. The third P is present. You should focus on what you need to do right now to perform your best, at this moment. You shouldn't focus on the past because you can't change it. You also shouldn't focus on the future because you can't change it directly either. The only way to control the future is to control the present. The last P is progress. There's a tendency for many athletes to compare themselves with other athletes, seeing, uh, seeing others having better results and getting ahead of them in the rankings. How your per opponents perform is outside of your control, though. What you should focus on is your improvement. Athletes develop at different rates. An athlete who is ahead of you now may not even be in your sight behind you in a year. What's important is that you see yourself steadily progressing towards the goals you want to achieve. At the top of the prime sport pyramid sits emotions. It's closest to the top of the pyramid because emotions will ultimately dictate how you perform throughout a competition. Emotions during a competition can cover the spectrum from excitement and elation to frustration, anger, and disappointment. Emotions are often strong and most troublesome. They can linger and hurt your performances long after you first experience them. Negative emotions can hurt performance both physically and mentally. They first cause you to lose your prime intensity. With frustration and anger, your intensity goes up and leads to muscle tension, breathing difficulties, and a loss of coordination. It also saps your energy and causes you to tire quickly. When you experience despair and helplessness, your intensity drops sharply, sharply, and you no longer have the physical capabilities to perform well. Negative emotions can also hurt you mentally. Your emotions are telling you that, deep down, you're not confident in your ability to perform well and achieve your competitive goals. 
Your confidence will decline, and you will have negative thoughts to go along with your negative emotions. Also, since your negative emotions are so strong, you will likely have difficulty focusing on what will help you perform well. The negative emotions draw your attention onto all the negative aspects of your performance. Finally, negative emotions can hurt your motivation to perform because you just don't feel good and it's no longer fun. Emotions come from past experiences in similar athletic situations in the forms of beliefs and attitudes you hold about performing and competing. The emotions associated with these beliefs and attitudes are commonly known as the baggage you carry from your past. Your perceptions from the past impact your present even though those emotions may not be appropriate or useful in the present situation. One of the most difficult aspects of emotions is that they become habits that can, that can cause you to automatically respond with a certain emotional reaction to a particular circumstance, even when, that, um, that, even when that emotional response does more harm than good. When you see professional athletes on TV, for example, totally lose it and get ejected from a game, you're likely seeing emotions that are self-destructive to both the athlete and their team. Negative emotions can be provoked by many occurrences during a competition, including bad calls, senseless mistakes, making an error at a crucial point in the competition, and just performing poorly. All these events share two common elements that lie at the heart of what causes the negative emotions. You feel that the path to a goal is being blocked, and you don't seem to have control over removing the obstacle. For example, a tennis player is losing an, to an opponent that he believes he should beat, and no matter what he tries, he can't seem to turn the match around. The tennis player is likely to experience frustration and anger initially. These emotions can be helpful at first because they motivate him to fight to clear the path to his goal and regain control of the match. But if he's unable to change the course of the match, then he may experience despair and helplessness, in which he accepts that he, can he cannot win, so he just gives up. In my work with high-level athletes, I've seen extremely negative emotional reactions to the smallest failures, a missed shot, a few errors in practice, or falling behind early in a competition. Produced frustration and anger that seems to be out of proportion to the magnitude of the failure. For example, a young gymnast I worked with would beat herself up emotionally for making a mistake in practice. Her level of performance would steadily decline and she would feel terrible about her gymnastics and herself. By the end of the day, she would be battered and bruised by her own emotions. Clearly, the punishment did not fit the crime. Be sure that your emotions are proportional to what causes them. Ask yourself whether a few mistakes are worth the ill feelings you might experience. Are you being fair to yourself? When the severity of the punishment exceeds the seriousness of the crime, you've probably lost perspective on how important sport is in your life. It might be worth getting really upset if you didn't get into the college of your choice or you lost your job. But are these strong negative emotions worth feeling over some unimportant mistakes? You should also consider whether these emotions help or hurt your sports performances. Negative emotions can raise your performance at first because they increase your intensity and get you to fight harder. After a short time though, your performance will likely decline and it usually spirals downward into a vicious cycle from there. Negative emotions usually hurt your performances and keep you from reaching your goals. Why would you allow yourself to experience emotions such as frustration, anger, and sadness and act in ways such as throwing a tantrum, choking, or giving up that ensures failure rather than helps you achieve success. It's okay to be disappointed when you make mistakes or, or perform poorly. In fact, you should feel disappointed. It means that you care about your sport and want to do better. But when your negative emotions are strong and self-defeating, particularly for how minor the crime is, for you will make a lot of mistakes during your sports career. Then you need to look at why your punishment far exceeds the crime you committed. Consider the best athletes in the world, 
sports are obviously very important to them because it's how they, they live their life and it's their livelihood. How upset do they get when they perform poorly and lose? Some do get very upset, but overall, considering how important sports are to them, most great athletes handle mistakes and losses pretty well. In fact, one reason why the best athletes in the world are at the top is because they have the ability to control their emotions rather than their emotions controlling them. In recent years, I've found that a simple distinction appears to lie at the heart of the emotional reactions athletes have to their sport, threat versus challenge. At the heart of emotional threat is, is the perception that winning is all important and failing is unacceptable. Emotional threat is most often associated with too great an emphasis on winning, results, and rankings. Pressure to win from coaches, parents, and athletes themselves is also common. With these beliefs, it's easy to see why competing in a sport would be emotionally threatening. Emotional threat manifests itself in a negative emotional chain in which each psychological link separately and cumulatively causes you to feel badly and hurts your performances. The most common reaction to a threat is the desire to avoid the threat. There is often a loss of motivation to perform and compete, especially when the threat of losing is immediate. For example, when you're behind in a competition. Think of giving up as a major loss of motivation. Emotional threat also suggests to you that you're incapable of overcoming the situation that's causing the threat, so your confidence is hurt and you're overwhelmed with negative and defeatist thoughts. The threat produces strong negative emotions such as fear, anger, frustration, despair, despair and hopelessness. The emotional threat also causes anxiety and all sorts of negative physical symptoms. The previous links in the emotional chain make it nearly impossible to focus effectively because there are so many negative things pulling your focus away from a useful process focus. All of the previous links in the chain ultimately result in very perf poor performance and little enjoyment in your sport. In contrast, emotional challenge is associated with your enjoying the process of your sport regardless of whether you achieve your goals. The emphasis is on having fun and seeing the competition as exciting and enriching. Sports, when seen as an emotional challenge, are an experience that is relished and sought out at every opportunity. Thus, emotional challenge is highly motivating to the point where you love being in pressure situations. Emotional challenge communicates to you that you have the ability to meet the demands of your sport, so you're confident and filled with positive thoughts. Emotional challenge also generates many positive emotions, such as excitement, joy, satisfaction, and inspiration. It also stimulates your body to achieve prime intensity, where your body is relaxed, energized, and physically capable of performing its best. You also have the ability to attain prime focus, in which you're totally focused on what enables you to perform your best. All of these links in the emotional challenge chain lead you to prime sport and a great enjoyment of your sport. Frustration may be your most significant obstacle to achieving your goals. We all have experienced the feeling of frustration when we're not able to do something as we pursue our goals. We feel stuck, we get uptight, we have difficulty focusing. But what is frustration precisely and what causes it? Simply put, frustration arises when the path toward a goal is blocked. Most athletes and coaches think of frustration as a bad emotion, but it's actually more complex than that. The fact is that frustration is hardwired into us and has tremendous adaptive value. Frustration starts as a good emotion, because when we get frustrated, we're motivated to remove the obstacles that are blocking our path toward our goals. We try harder, and that extra effort frequently results in clearing that path, enabling us to continue to pursue our goals. Unfortunately, if our best efforts, despite our best efforts, we can't overcome those obstacles, 
Frustration can become a destructive emotion. In fact, frustration isn't if, if frustration isn't dealt with effectively and quickly, it can trigger what I call the negative emotional chain, in which frustration leads to a descent into a series of truly unhealthy emotions. If frustration isn't dealt with in a, in a productive way, it can morph into anger. Now, most athletes and coaches also believe that anger is a bad emotion. But, like frustration, it too has both positive and negative sides. Anger starts out as being helpful because it too is motivating. When you're angry, you want to go after that thing that's causing your anger. Unfortunately for most sports, anger swiftly becomes a hard, harmful emotion. The feelings of anger are like those of frustration, but with the volume turned up considerably. Your body becomes tense, so you may lose your coordination and the quality of your efforts decline. Your focus narrows so much that they miss important cues necessary to perform your best. And your thinking becomes clouded by the anger, so you're not able to think clearly or make good decisions. If you aren't able to clear the obstacles from your path at this point, your emotions shift to the final stage of the negative emotional chain. You experience despair. You've tried and tried and tried and still can't remove the barriers. So the natural thing to do is quit. What's the point of continuing to try if nothing you do works? But the unfortunate outcome of the conclusion of the negative emotional chain is immediate failure to achieve your goals. It's been my experience that if athletes move from frustration to anger, continued efforts that day usually fail. And if you experience the negative emotional chain on a regular basis, sinking repeatedly into despair, you will likely lose your motivation and be unwilling to make a sustained effort in the future. With each descent down the negative emotional chain, you come to believe that your actions have little effect and you will progressively lose confidence in your ability to achieve your goals. Despite the fundamental role that frustration plays in athletes' efforts to be their best, they're rarely shown how to deal with their frustration in a constructive way. Your goal is to learn how to stop the negative emotional chain at frustration by responding positively to the frustration when it first arises. The first mistake that many athletes make when faced with frustration is to just increase their effort. In other words, do whatever they are doing more and harder. But then they're violating the law of insanity, doing the same thing and expecting different results. When frustration first arises, rather than plowing ahead, you should do just the opposite. In other words, step back from the situation that's causing this frustration. For example, if you just can't do a new technique in training, you should take a break. Stopping the activity creates emotional distance from the frustration, thus easing its grip on you. Next, do something that's fun and relaxing during the break. For example, getting a snack. In fact, hunger is a significant cause of frustration, particularly among young athletes. Try listening to music or socializing. This step lessens the uncomfortable physical symptoms that come with frustration and generates emotions such as happiness or excitement that can counter the feelings of frustration. A powerful way to counter the feelings of frustration when you have taken a break is to do something at which you can succeed. For example, something in your sport that you are good at, thus feeding your feelings of confidence and generating positive emotions such as pride and inspiration. Once the negative emotion, emotional chain has been broken, you should return with a focus on finding a solution that will relieve the, the frustration. This process starts with understanding the problem. If you know what the specific problem is that's causing the frustration, then you have a better chance at finding a solution. If you can't figure, out the problem, can't figure the problem out yourself, ask your coach for help. Once you know the problem, you can then figure out a solution. And with a solution, you're more likely to overcome the cause of your frustration, and your frustration will go away. 
But the reality is that you can't clear the obstacles to your goals. So continued effort in pursuit of those goals would be futile. The barriers that day may just be too great to surmount. You have two options here. First, you can change your goals to ones that can be achieved in the short term. For example, let's say you're a tennis player who's getting frustrated because you're losing a match and nothing you do will turn the match around. In this case, continuing to pursue the goal of willing, winning will likely take you quickly along the negative emotional chain. But if you shift your goals, for example, working on a technical or tactical part of your game, you can still experience some success and get something out of the match. Second, there are going to be days when you just aren't going to make any progress toward your goals. And continuing to try without success will just discourage you and actually hurt your efforts in the long run. In this case, it may be wise to deliberately give up and choose to fight another day. To wrap things up, now here's a question for you. Have you ever experienced prime sport? Let me describe what it's like. First, it's effortless. It feels comfortable, easy, and natural. Second, it's automatic. The body does what it knows how to do, and there's no mental interference. Third, you experience sharpened senses. You see, feel everything more acutely than normal. You also have what's called a time shift. Everything slows down, enabling you to react more quickly. And you have effortless focus. You're totally absorbed in the experience with no distractions. You also have boundless en energy. Fatigue is simply not an issue. Finally, you experience prime integration. The physical, technical, tactical, and mental sides of sport are all working together to perform your best. Another question you may ask is, where does prime sport come from? Though I'm focusing on its mental contributors, the mind is only one necessary part of prime sport. You must also be at a high level of physical health, including being well-conditioned, well-rested, eating a balanced diet, and free from injury and illness. Prime sport also isn't possible if you're not technically and tac tactically sound. If you're physically, technically, tactically, and mentally prepared, then you'll have the ability to achieve prime sport. To learn more about prime sport, please visit my website, www.drjimtaylor.com. That's www.drjimtaylor.com. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor for Prime Sport, Triumph of the Athlete Mind.